who knows where we are in the vast seas of time. I want to reflect a little on refuge. This is something that I think I'll be contemplating for at least the rest of this life. And what a precious practice it is. What a mysterious practice it is. And I hope you all are doing this practice now. It's mysterious. To me, it sums up some of the core teachings of Dharma. Scholars of comparative religion over the last two centuries have discovered what they regard as a basic worldview or conceptual map common to many known spiritual traditions. And this is very much a contested notion, but this is the notion of a perennial philosophy that there's uh, a core body of teaching common to many spiritual traditions of the world. And it's contested in the academic world, but I think these debates will ultimately lead to a richer and more complete and more expanded vision of what this perennial philosophy so-called is. And hopefully it's a vision that is more inclusive of indigenous and aboriginal and matriarchal spiritual forms, a vision that encompasses both modernity and the lost ancient past. This teaching of refuge transmits some of the crucial elements of this universal map, this perennial philosophy. First, the very notion of refuge points to the aspect of the perennial philosophy that really is most essential. And it's what's emphasized by Aldous Huxley, among others. And that is that the key to spiritual liberation across all of these traditions is the contracted ego dissolving into surrendering into ultimate reality, that the ultimate nature of reality is inherently free and that the ego perspective is one of delusion and that when it opens up, that freedom is realized. Another aspect of the refuges is this tripartite division of reality, first, first person, second person, and third person realities, Buddha, 
Sangha being the second person, intersubjective reality, and Dharma in the sense of Dharmas as phenomena being the third person, reality. And this tripartite organization appears across traditions as well. And not only ancient spiritual traditions, but also in modern thought uh, and in classical Western thought. This is common to many metaphysical systems and philosophical systems. This notion that there are these three aspects of reality, these three perspectives on reality, and these are also three fields of practice. We awaken as Buddha mind, and that's often what we think of as mind. We emphasize this first person view in the contemplative traditions. And we see the first person looking into the question, who am I? as the gateway to realization, the gateway to truth. But these other aspects are also fields of practice, the intersubjective space of community, of sangha, the space of meaning and communication, of social exchange, all the relationships we have, that is a field of Dharma practice, a field of truth, a field of realizing suchness. And also the natural world, the, the aspect of dharmas as the phenomena of nature. And the world of form generally, just the material world, everything that's observable. And this is the realm of the empirical sciences, this too is a realm of realization, a realm of truth, and a realm of spiritual practice, a gateway to ultimate reality, this floor. Many of you probably know there are practices where People come together in dyads and just gaze into each other's eyes. And that's the, the we space that can open up. And it can be cultivated too. Each of these spaces can be cultivated and, and infused with consciousness, heightened consciousness. Here in Sashin, all of those are happening, but we emphasize going deeply into this question of who am I? And ultimately that leads beyond the first person perspective as we ordinarily think of it. So taking refuge, or going for refuge, 
this brings up the matter of faith, the great F word. Not unlike the other great F word, we know that it's very important, but we don't really know what it is. And Ryu mentioned that Bodhidharma's practices are practices of faith. I think that's true. I'd like to explore that a bit. I find it helpful just to stop talking periodically and listen to the silence. I hope everyone's enjoying that. To me, Hogan Roshi is an exemplar of faith. And we have the wonderful blessing of chanting words that came from his heart every evening, liberation from all obstructions. This is a very clear and powerful expression of faith. I'd like to just read it. As we chanted a lot, when I actually read it, it felt different, just reading it from the page, not chanting. Liberation from all obstructions in appreciation of Shodo Harada Roshi. In the presence of Sangha, in the light of Dharma, in oneness with Buddha, may my path to complete enlightenment benefit everyone. In this passing moment, karma ripens and all things come to be. I vow to affirm what is. If there's cost, I choose to pay. If there's need, I choose to give. If there's pain, I choose to feel. If there's sorrow, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. What I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it's my birth, I choose to live. When it's my death, I choose to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. This life is as real as a dream. The one who knows it cannot be found. And truth is not a thing. Therefore, I vow to choose this Dharma entrance gate, this Dharma entrance gate. May all Buddhas and wise ones help me live this vow. You probably noticed that this chant also makes the connection with vow and also with refuge and the three refuges. 
But these three themes are very closely related, vow, refuge, and faith. This chant, Liberation from All Obstructions, reveals the almost magical quality of faith. The liberative power that comes when, in a spirit of not knowing, a spirit of surrender, we allow what is to be what is. We allow what is to manifest. The magic is that somehow allowing what is just to be is enough and is ultimately liberating. That the human heart is liberated in that. To me, that is very profound and mysterious. Can you feel that when we chanted every evening, that power? I I can feel the potential of it. Feel that energy of faith infuses the words. And it, when we chant it, we rouse that spirit, the spirit of giving our body and our heart completely to what is. Chan Master Hongshir, the author of Guidepost for Silent Illumination, among many other wonderful texts. Master Hongshir has a slightly more philosophical but also very evocative expression for this, this kind of faith non-interference in the matter of suchness. Can you connect with that as a practice? Do you see the resonance with Bodhidharma's teaching? Accepting adversity adapting to conditions, seeking nothing, acting in accord with reality, with dharma. I think that expression touches the essence of Bodhidharma's teaching, non-interference in the matter of suchness. Maybe that's what's at the core of the four practices. For us as human beings, faith has to become very personal, I think. 
We have to discover it for ourselves. We find it through our own life experiences. We have to experience our own journey in order for the faith to actually have meaning. And that's the spirit of it. It's letting my life be my life just as it is. Letting this be my life. This, this, this. Letting this be my life. Affirming what is. Maizumi Roshi speaks of appreciating our lives. Also a practice of faith. opening completely to this moment, being filled by it, letting ourselves be ourselves, accepting myself just as I am. And that's not an idea the experience of that is a very intimate experience. Faith in general is a very intimate experience. It's trusting that we are exactly where we need to be, moment by moment. Trusting that we have exactly what we need, everything present. Trusting our Buddha nature, trusting our own awakened nature, our own true nature. The experience of faith goes beyond any of those ideas, of course. It's completely unscripted. This, this faith this way of being ourselves in total naturalness, spontaneity, not holding back. That unscriptedness is part of the deep truth of Bodhidharma's uh, transcendence of words and letters. The deep truth of, of Bhidharma the deep truth of the Zen transmission beyond the scriptures, beyond scripts, natural, direct, alive, immediate, fresh, intimate. Here in Sashin, in, in the deep heart of Sashin, we trust our path to reveal, to unfold in its own way, on its own, we don't need to force anything. We can understand this in a more general way, just as practitioners, as a principle, as, as a way of being, orienting in the world, that we respond to what is. We don't, we don't, we don't have control in any absolute sense. We have very little control. We can also realize it on the micro level of meditation, 
moment by moment, as our minds, all that is stored in our body and mind reveals itself. Moment to moment, we can give up the grasping, small grasping, the grabbing, the controlling, the clinging, the getting. In, in meditation, we make all of those small choices navigating that terrain And sometimes we get into these habits, trying to resolve some problem, trying to have some experience that we really want to have, we think we we want to have. The experience we're having is the only experience we will ever have. meditation, we might experience bodhidharmas seeking nothing. When we let let go of those habits, or when they just untangle themselves. And maybe this is faith. We, not, we don't really get anything out of that experience of seeking nothing, being totally content. All of this reminds me of another practice from a different tradition. This is from the Kagyu tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, known as the School of Hard Knocks, in part because there are so many gnarly and colorful characters in that tradition, which evolved from the wandering Mahasiddhas of North India. And so people learn on the spiritual path in interesting ways in the Kagyu school. This is Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche's school. This particular practice is from Tilopa, great Mahasiddha, teacher of Naropa. These are direct instructions. These are direct pointing out instructions. And this teaching is known as the Six Nails because these instructions nail in the realization don't think of the past let go of what happened number two don't think of the future there is no future 
Number three, don't think of the present. You can't actually. Number four, don't try to figure anything out. Number five, don't try to make anything happen. Number six, let go in the now. Release. Releasing in the now. That sounds like faith, doesn't it? Dharma gets to this, acting in accord with Dharma, the fourth practice. Acting in accord with reality, with the now, taking refuge in the now, non-interference in the matter of suchness, non-interference in this, This is also the meaning of wu-wei. This term appears often in the Bodhidharma texts. It's a key term in early Chan Buddhism and also in Taoism and actually is a very ancient concept in indigenous Chinese culture, going back many hundreds of years before the beginning of the common era. Wu in Chinese is mu in Japanese. Way is action or activity. The terms often translated as non-action, but we could say is mu activity, manifesting mu, embodying mu. This is faith acting in accord with dharma, manifesting mu, not knowing that's the mu part, and full embodiment, full engagement, full immersion in activity. Wu Wei definitely doesn't mean not acting, the Swiss sinologist Jean-Francois Billete describes it as a state of perfect knowledge of the reality of the situation, perfect efficaciousness, and the realization of a perfect economy of energy. So it's maximally effective action through total harmonization. We get the sense of balance, of alignment, of accordance with reality. I'm picturing a surfer. Historically, the term has enjoyed wide application in Chinese statecraft and many other practical realms, gardening, for example. Bodhidharma is recommending this both as a way of engaging in spiritual practice and as a way of living, and of course, these aren't separate. 
acting with the flow, adapting to conditions as they change and surge and manifest and flow on. We could say that this principle of Wu Wei exemplifies ordinary life is the way. Just life manifesting without interference. Spontaneously. This too is true in all aspects of life and also in meditation at the micro level. It may be easy to embrace all of ourselves, to accept ourselves as who we are when what we're experiencing is pleasant or aspects of ourselves that we like or that fit with our self-image. But it gets harder when the experience is difficult or ugly or chaotic or challenging in some way. And even a little bit of discomfort can drive us into a cycle of trying to manipulate. We make tiny micro-adjustments to try and compensate, to try and modulate the experience can be helpful, but often it doesn't help. So how do we proceed in that kind of situation? How do we practice faith? Is it best to just totally accept the uncomfortable experience and just endure it? Is there a way to respond that is appropriate and that is not an interference? It can seem like a very delicate edge, but what makes it an edge? The whole setup implies that there's a way of doing it right, of succeeding, of reaching the goal, or at least of not effing up completely. And then we maybe try to use Wu Wei or faith or Bodhidharma's practices as strategies for some kind of achievement. And just think of this, think of Sashin, think of how your what happens with your mind as Sashin goes on. we come to a deep level of facing ourselves and perhaps there seems to be a wall you didn't know was there or you feel blocked but you don't quite know what you could possibly do. 
we often have some implicit idea of how this is supposed to be going or what we want to get out of it or success or failure. That's just how the mind works. The mind will never be satisfied by the results of session ever. I don't think so. Not that mind, anyway. So what I'm suggesting about faith is that it opens up a completely different way of being, a different way of practicing, a, a different spirit of practicing. So just open up, what if this session wasn't actually about what you thought it was about. And maybe what you still think it's about. What you know, The story that you're maybe going to tell yourself when you leave, or you're, that you're already telling yourself about it. Maybe, what if it's not about that at all? What if this isn't about you becoming enlightened? or being an excellent bodhisattva, or giving a great dharma talk, or letting go of past resentments. But what if there was much, much more, actually? What if there was a much bigger picture? And to say big, is really just one side of it. It's big, it's small. And what if you were already in it? What if you could only ever be in it? This is really the opposite of disengaging from effort, from practice. This is an invitation to become very, very intimate. There's a line that I love from our chant book, which I think is one of the most profound lines in a book full of profound lines. It brings together a lot of these teachings. It's the last stanza of affirming faith in mind. And it says this, it says, when faith and mind are not separate, and not separate are mind and faith, this is beyond all words, all thought. For here, there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, no today. So we're living in this boundless, big picture. I'll read some more lines that we chant a lot. When a fish swims in the ocean, there is no end to the water, no matter how far it swims. When a bird flies in the sky, there is no end to the air, no matter how far it flies.
yet no fish or bird has ever left its element since the beginning. When the need is great, the function is great. When the need is small, the function is small. Thus, no creature ever comes short of its own fullness. Wherever it is, it functions freely. If a bird leaves the air, it will die at once. If a fish leaves the sea, it will die at once. Know then that water is life, know that air is life. Life is the bird and life is the fish. Beyond this, there is still more to see. If a bird or a fish tries to move beyond the sky or sea, this bird or this fish will not find a path or place. Attaining this place, one's daily life reveals the truth. Attaining this way, one's daily life reveals the truth. This place and this way are not large or small, not self or other. They neither existed before nor are arising just now. They are just as they are. How fortunate to have pointers like that. So please open up to this view of faith. Nothing to attain. Taking refuge offering ourselves to all beings. Thank you.